And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. Yeah, great question. You are the power. And you do not need anybody's permission. Great question. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. That is literally a brilliant question. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our show is about the metaphysical, psychological, and physical benefits of laughing. I don't know about you, but I laugh every single day. You probably got the impression that I'm a twisted individual, and that's good because you know that your intuition is working. <laughs> but every single day, I'm making fun of myself and I'm making fun of the absurdities of the world. And I feel bad for people who take themselves way too seriously. You know, the people who are like, I'm offended. I'm offended by everything. I feel that they are so repressed. But I don't like the fact that those people are trying to take their repression and push it upon other people. Like, if you're offended, be offended. But do it somewhere else. Do it away from me. I think the people of the world, if you're finding something funny, you deserve to laugh and laugh at whatever you want. Because this is a crazy world. The forces of darkness, yeah, it looks like they're, they're running rampant, but if we don't take time to laugh at ourselves and laugh at the absurdities of the world, I think we're all going to go crazy and, crazy, and I think we need to laugh now more than ever. My wife pranks me all the time. She comes up with these one-liners and she zings me, and I got to tell you, I love every single minute of it. One of my friends, his name is Sal uh, Governale, formerly known as Sal, the stockbroker from the Howard Stern Show. This is probably the funniest individual I've ever come in contact with. He always drives people crazy, and he does it in such a way where he gets them so upset, but it's hilarious. So here is one of Sal's uh, phone pranks. Hello, taxi. Hi, uh, hello. Uh, I need a car. Did you hear who was coming to town? Who? Why, Santa Claus, of course! That's me! Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Oh, what, are you out of your fucking mind or what? Why, of course, I'm out of my mind with Christmas cheer! Ho, ho, ho! You better watch out! You better not cry! Ho, ho, ho! Yes, sir, I'm in a bit of a hurry. What time is it? It's 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.08. 8. No, it's Christmas time! Ho, 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 ho! And I was speaking to one of your naughty young boys there because I need a taxi to deliver toys to all the young boys. Yeah, I'm sure you do. And your ankle bracelet goes off, too. Goodbye. Oh, that's no way to talk to Santa Claus, young boy! Ho, 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 ho! Come on. Yes, hello. Uh, quick question. Do you have trunk space available? Yes. Wonderful! Ho, ho, for Santa's sack of toys! Ho, ho, Here we go again. Oh, you really got no f***ing life, do you? Uh, yes, I need a car, please. Where are you? Why, I'm at the North Pole! It's Santa Claus! Ho, ho, ho! Yo, <laughs> And that's Sal. And Sal used to do stand-up comedy with me, and that's another story for another time. But I know we've gone through some tough shows lately, and I want you to know that this was dedicated to you in the hopes that we could all laugh and 
be on a positive note because, yes, we're talking about some things that are dark. Yes, we're talking about some things that are deep. But it's always good to pull back, I think, and just relax and appreciate life. So let us begin tonight's program. Welcoming back to the program is Dr. Stephen Sinatra, highly respected and sought-after cardiologist who has been on our show at least two different times. We've got a tremendous response. His expertise is grounded in over 40 years of clinical practice research. And you can learn more about him by going to his website at drsinatra.com. You get regular updates. And the most important thing you could be doing, aside from you know keeping things peaceful at home, is to make sure your heart is working. Dr. Sinatra, welcome back to the program. Hey, it's great to be here, Ryan. Thank you. So I remember reading one of your tips about taking care of your heart. One of the things you talked about is laughing. What does laughing and also what does crying do? to your heart well you know that's a great question first of all when you laugh hard enough you cry so uh, that's why they're both connected you know and this happens uh, you know frequently but i'll tell you one thing about laughing or any voluntary activity let's let's say it that way um when kids for example spontaneously laugh and they giggle and laugh with one another and it becomes very very contagious uh it's very very healthy well, why is that? Well, the reason being is that clinical research has shown that when you laugh and you do a belly laugh, for example, and laugh really, really hard, you're actually re- releasing um, you know, a lot of endorphins in the body. And what endorphins do is they're like chemical messengers that stimulate the immune system response or support the immune system. So laughing is, is very, very important. And I have to tell you a little tidbit on this. I was on a ferry boat with my brother. We were salmon fishing up in uh, Newfoundland, Canada about 15, 20 years ago. And uh, we were in seven, oh, maybe 20-foot seas. Uh, there were seven decks on the boat. And I have to tell you, the water was splashing over the decks. It was a ferry boat. And everybody was sick, seasick. And I said to myself, I'm not going to get seasick. You know, I'm a fisherman. And the first thing I did was we turned on, we went down to the TV room, my brother and I, and that Pink Panther was on. I don't know if you remember the Pink Panther. Yep. But i got to tell you, my brother and I were laughing. Everybody on the, on, the, on, the, on the boat was sick. There was more people vomiting. And I'll never forget this. You know, I believed in what, you know, my, you know, my own tidbits. And when we started watching this and I started laughing and laughing, not, we never got sick. And we were probably the only two people on the boat that didn't get sick. I was even told the next day that the captain staff got sick. The waiters, the waitresses, wow. everybody was sick. So laughing brings a lot to the table. Now, if you laugh hard enough, what happens, Ryan? You can cry, right? And crying does the same thing. Crying literally not only releases endorphins into tears, but whenever you have involuntary activity of the diaphragm, uh, you can uh, actually uh, release what we call, you know, thromboxane A2, which is, uh, it can almost uh, work like an anticoagulant uh, with deep breathing, uh, uh, involuntary motions. So, you know, crying can really support um, you know, our mental health in so many ways. Uh, one way is via the immune system, and the other way is the incredible release of emotional tension. So laughing and crying are very connected through the endorphin, you know, responses, and they both calm the autonomic nervous system to the point where you, when you discharge your body of a lot of emotional stress through either laughing or crying, uh, then you balance the autonomic nervous system even more. So 
If you want to add a trifecta to that, you know, make it three, put your bare feet on the ground, do a little grounding at the same time, and then you bring even more healing capabilities to the body. So I'm a big, you know, proponent of grounding, laughing, and crying. <laughs> I love that take. I was actually just doing that yesterday, uh, the grounding, and I, you know, I, I agree with what you said. It feels so much better. I don't know what's going on, but I guess we're inundated with so much technology around here. And I'm curious what You're right. Like. You're right. And the problem is, is all this technology is putting out a lot of what we call, well, you're getting a lot of oxidative free radical stress. And, uh, you know, one of the ways to get rid of oxidative stress is to bring more electrons to the body. I mean, you can take handfuls of antioxidants. That works. That's great. I recommend that. But if you put your bare feet on Mother Earth, you're absorbing those electrons through, the, through your feet. And basically, uh, you're flooding your system with additional electrons to tie up any free radicals. And that's why people feel so much better uh, when they have their barefoot on Mother Earth. Well, in addition to people who laugh on a regular basis, like we live in a culture right now where it seems like everyone's offended by everything all the time. People are always right. upset, always finding outrage. Do you think that those people, by being outraged all the time and not laughing enough, could be putting a tremendous strain on their hearts? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, laughing is so important, and people don't laugh anymore. That's why it's important for adults to hang out with kids. And I'm not talking about one kid. I'm talking about a pack of kids. Because when a pack of kids start laughing, you know, three, four, five kids, it's so contagious. And you start laughing. And, um, you know, adults, we become so reserved in our ways. And uh, uh, laughing is just one way of just alleviating so much stress and tension that we all have. So, um I'll tell you, one of the best ways you can you can do this is hang out with a pack of kids. <laughs> you know, go to a school, you know, do something silly with kids, and uh, it's great. You know, you can walk dogs. You, you know, an animal brings a lot to the table, you know, especially the un- unconditional love an animal brings to you. I mean, there's so many ways of, of just getting more connected today. And, uh, you know, one of the ways is really laughing. It just connects the whole group together. Dr. Steven Sinatra, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, this is one of the world's most sought-out, respected cardiologists. He's telling you right now, you got to laugh. Laugh, do it for your heart, do it for yourself. This gentleman's got more than 40-plus years of clinical experience, and he's on the media all the time. You learn more about Dr. Sinatra by going to his website at drsinatra.com. Dr. Sinatra, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Ryan. It was great. God bless. Welcome back to the program is Dr. John Huber. He is a clinical forensic psychologist and the chairman of Mainstream Mental Health. You can learn more about Dr. Huber by going to his website at MainstreamMentalHealth.org. Dr. Huber, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me back on, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So topic of today is the benefits of laughter. When a person is laughing on a regular basis or can find humor in a lot of things. What is that doing for that person on average? Well, laughter is, yeah, on average, laughter is an amazing way to mitigate stress in general and make things much more palatable for you mentally, but also physiologically. In fact, even when you fake laughing, your body benefits from it. You know, it increases blood flow through your body. That helps your lymph system protect you and protect your immune system and help it work better and more effectively. Uh, it also releases a hormone called Clotho that we originally thought just had to do with vitamin A production and, and helped your kidneys. But what we found out is that Clotho actually makes the connective tissues in your body much more flexible 
and and cuts down on wrinkles. It also helps the veins and arteries in your body can continue to be flexible, so it reduces your risk of stress, heart attacks, for stress strokes, and by by keeping that elasticity in the, those veins and arteries available for your body to utilize to keep from rupturing. So there, there's so many things. It lowers your blood pressure. It is you know, the best medicine. We've heard it a hundred times and it's an old wives tale, but it's actually true in this case. Laughter is the best medicine. You observe the world right now. It seems that everyone seems to be, a lot of people are offended by a lot of things. And I guess that they're doing this and saying, I'm offended by this and that, because I think that for some reason it, it um, they perceive that they're trying to make society quote unquote better. Like, well, well, we should be, we should not make fun of this stuff or we should not laugh at this because we're a moral society and people have this perception that by condemning things, by not laughing at things and by being outraged that they're kind of, uh, you know, making a society uh, more moral. What are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about the idea that, you know, certain things that people were laughing at years ago cannot be laughed at right now without some sort of public outrage? Well, I think it's kind of a cop-out. What I mean by that is it's real easy to be offended by something. It's really difficult to go out on a limb and say, I like this. I like it because of X, Y, and Z. And that's what I want to share with people about and why I want to share it. Uh, because all of a sudden you become vulnerable. But when you do that, it tells people it's okay to be vulnerable. Instead, you make people go up in a defensive posture all the time. And, you know, when people start telling me that I have to be a, a worried about this and I can't say that and I can't say this, that's their issue that they're trying to put out on everybody else. And it has actually a negative consequence instead of a positive one they try to try to think it has. They want to think it has. And it goes back to that thing. You can't control other people. You can't make them do certain things and you can't make them think certain things. And that is always going to be true. So what you need to do is instead of making all this negativistic ideals and putting them out there for people to be front and center and be in their forethought, you need to start finding out what you really like and care about in this world and, and praise that, bring that up, lift that up. So that's in the media, that's in your mind, that's out there for everybody to think of first. It's like when you, when, when you go to bed at night, you dream most likely about the last things you think about when you go to bed. So as you're curling up with your pillow, if you just start thinking about all these negative things, that's all you're going to dream about all night. And you're going to wake up not feeling happy. So start your evening off the right way. Think about the things you enjoy and you're pleasurable and you're thankful for being able to enjoy and have in your life and the world around us. Focus on that. It's amazing how much that will change your life. And Dr. Huber, what does a person's sense of humor reveal about their mental health? So if I, some people are into clean humor, happy. some people are into darker humor, they're into uh, you know, edgy humor. So what type of humor, what types of humor reveal about a certain person's mental health? I mean, and if you laugh at dark humor, does that imply that you could be a mass murderer or a sociopath? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that, but in general, people who laugh and smile a lot tend to be much better off uh, mental health-wise. And why is that? Because they have a coping mechanism for those types of things, and that's stress. Now, some of the darkest humor I've ever 
come across were were physicians at the hospitals that I work at. The stuff they have to do, the kind of decisions they have to make every day to quote unquote save people's lives. You know, when it when a somebody has a brain brain bleed and a surgeon has to go in there to save their life to keep them from dying, the surgeon's having to make a choice. If he goes in this way, that person's never going to remember their children again. If the person if the doctor goes in the other way, they won't ever be able to talk again. You know what? deficit are they going to leave this person behind with and what is okay for this person and you know that doctor is trying to save their life he goes home at night and he sweats out that every every single day and he thinks about or she thinks about every surgical procedure they've had like that over the last you know 20 years of their career and they wonder did i make the right choices and those people are the ones who tend in in my experience to have some of the most extreme senses of humor and otherwise totally straight laced you never know it and they usually only share that type of humor with people that are very close to them or other mental health or or physical health doctor prescribers so uh it, it it's it's very personal to them but it's a coping mechanism so if you've got somebody who experiences whole lots of, of abhorrent types of situations, lots of stress, they, they watch a lot of death, dying, maiming, and stuff like that, and they don't have a sense of humor, those are the people I'm worried about because when they break, it's going to be big. Wow. Dr. John Huber, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Dr. Huber is a clinical forensic psychologist. He's the chairman of Mainstream Mental Health. He's on TV and radio on a regular basis. And did I also tell you that he's also the host of Mental Health News, Mainstream Mental Health Radio, and he gets a tremendous amount of listeners on there. You can learn more about Dr. Huber by going to his website at MainstreamMentalHealth.org. Dr. Huber, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Always an amazing time with you. Thank you, my friend. Welcoming to the program is an individual who I done comedy with for a long time he is incredible his name is billy bingo he's actually a firefighter and over the many years he donated a lot of his time to doing charity events to help others and i think he's really funny mr bingo welcome to the program hey ryan what's going on brother how you been I'm doing unbelievable billy just Good turned you, 30 a couple days ago so happy uh, belated birthday 31 31 yeah right <laughs> i'm exactly i'm exactly 321 year old yep you've done hundreds of shows what do you think has changed in the course of maybe the last 15 years about what people are willing to laugh at do you think that people are very uptight that they, they're not they're afraid to laugh at certain jokes right now because they're afraid if they get seen laughing at a joke mm. that's edgy that they're going to be depicted as racist that they're going to be depicted as you know insensitive comedy comedy today uh, the thing is if you watch comedy in a, in, a, in a comedy club setting and people laugh at it but the problem with social media is that it gives everybody a voice. So you got one little squeaky guy that got offended by a joke. And now all of a sudden people are all like, he's right. And it's not, it's comedy. It's the way you accept the joke. It's a joke. People sometimes just get oversensitive, you know? Um, I just, I, I can't, I can't, I could never work. Uh, like I see college kids today, they get offended by every little thing. If you, you, you're doing a joke about, if you post something on the internet, a joke about a funny dog, 
you're going to get comments like, why isn't it a cat? You know, <laughs> it's stupid. People, it's, it's stupid. You, everybody has an opinion and not everybody's going to agree with your opinion. That's the first thing you have to learn when you become a comedian is, you know, not everybody's going to think you're hilarious. 80% of the audience, you get 80% of an audience, you're a killed comedian. But there's people are going to go, this guy's an idiot. And there's people, you know, the same way that George Carlin, people thought George Carlin was an asshole and people would pay hundreds of dollars to sit in the front row for a George Carlin concert. Right. It's very, very sub- subjective. And, uh, I don't know. I just find that today's audiences, uh, it doesn't take that. It's not, you don't blame the whole audience, but there's participants in the audience that if one gets offended or two get offended, they get up and they walk out. Uh, a black comedian friend of mine was at the Borgata and he did a Trump joke and five men in business suits got up and walked out. And then the next day when he reported for work, they told him they canceled it for the rest of the week and they paid him and he told him to leave. Wow. It's, that's pretty crazy. And Billy, as a New York firefighter, somebody who's, you know, you've seen some horrible things. How has comedy been utilized uh, as a means of helping you kind of deal with life and cope with life? And how do you think comedy can be utilized as a healing process for people? You remember Maury. You remember, did you ever do Maury's hospital show? Yeah. Uh, our so. friend Maury used to do a hospital show at Sloan Kettering for the cancer patients. He ran two a month, one on a Wednesday night at 6 o'clock and one on a Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And I used to do his show every three months, every four months. And you would perform, and you don't know if you were going to perform in front of two patients or you are going to perform in front of 15. And sometimes they had their family with them and sometimes, and you get up and you do 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, the, the, the look on their face, when you see the, the, fate, the bottom of their jaw drop and the mask move, that, that's a kill at Caroline. Wow. That's a, that's a knock it out of the when you make When you make the mask, well, God, that's, you know, you're really doing good. <laughs> yeah, that's when you know you're doing good. These people are in pain. You see, here's what, here's what comedy does a really, really good thing. You see, when you're in pain and now you're listening to somebody and you, the guy's telling the story on stage, you don't feel the pain. You don't feel the pain because you're not concentrating. You, this comedian is bringing you to his world, to a different place where you're not. And they don't feel it. You know? And for me, I walk out of that show. My shoulders are pinned back. It's like I, made it, I, I saved a four-year-old kid at a fire. You know? You make these people forget about their problems. Afterwards, the family comes over. Thank you very much. My mother thought you were funny. Uh, my, my, my grandmother wants to date you. I mean, it's funny, you know? It's great. It really is. And that's one way that I used to use comedy to make me feel better. All right? And then, and then the other way is that I may be, I got friends of mine that say, you know, you're not that funny. Who the, you know, you're right. I'm not that funny. I'm not an Eddie Murphy. I'm, I'm not oh, a Jerry you're definitely Seinfeld. Funny. But listen to, but Ryan, mm-hmm. but I'll do a benefit for a, a kid that has cancer and I'll raise $15,000 for that kid in one night. What can you do? You know? Yeah. Well, 
Billy, in the course of doing the show, we're now in our coming up in our fifth year. Some people in the audience have this perception that I'm a, I'm a normal human being, so let's just shatter that perception right now because you used to actually see me go on stage and do comedy. How horrifying was it for the comedians in the back of the audience? Uh, well, if they weren't, they, they should have put you in out on a straitjacket. That would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should have performed instead of a, uh, a suit jacket, a... Uh, uh, a straight jacket would have been uh, an appropriate well, idea. I, th- I don't know. I came out of maniac. Wa- maniac is that what it was? I, I came out. I wanted maniac, to give a, like, a maniac. Of, I wanted to give a lot of energy out there, but I, I just know that like a lot of the jokes just didn't go over. And God, I just, uh, I, I really, I love it. The thing is, you brought you brought excitement to excitement to the shelves. But uh, if they get the audience pumped up. And this way they could hear somebody funny like me. <laughs> That's so true. It was the vaccination comedian. <laughs> You're like a fluff comic. <laughs> I'm a fluff comic. A fluff. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad, glad we went there. Now that's I'm a, the fluff that's, comic. That's a great line. That's a great you, line. You're you should a fluff use that comic. Next line. Yeah, when I oh, come out of retirement, I'll great. use that one. <laughs> Mr. Billy that's a great. That's a great name, man. That's a great name. I'm going to give that to you. Right, I don't give that to anybody else. That's you, <laughs> the fluff comedian. Thank you. You're a fluffer. You know, some guys are warm up comics. You're a fluff. There's there's MC, feature, fluffer, and headliner. Jeez, jeez. Oh, just when we, my wife has a new thing to to rag on me about. Mr. Billy Bingo, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Ryan, I'm glad I got to chat with you, man. I always love you, buddy. You too, bro. Lots of love to you, and uh, thank you so much. Have a great night, buddy. Welcome back to the program. There's actually the very first person we had on the Outer Limits of Minute Tooth Radio show, and that is Mr. Jeffrey Gurian. He is a comedy writer, performer, director, author, producer, doctor, and healer. He has worked with comedic legends such as Rodney Dangerfield, Joan Rivers, George Wallace, Phil Hartman, Richard Belzer. He's also author of a book called Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to Achieving Happiness, which reached bestseller status. You can learn more about him by going to his website at ComedyMattersTV.com. Mr. Gurian, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's always so good to be on with you. Mr. Gurian, from your perspective, what do you see as the spiritual and mental health benefits of laughter? Uh, they're innumerable, Ryan. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I People have been saying for a long time that laughter is the best medicine. I happen to be on the board of this group called LaughMD, and I've been involved in several things, but LaughMD brings comedy to people in hospitals, people in recovery centers. Um, I was on the board of the Hamptons Comedy Festival. One year we produced a huge comedy show, and it's the fundraising arm for Comedy Fights Cancer. I was also, as a, a doctor in my other persona, I was asked to be on this uh, PBS special called Walking Through the Storm, where doctors talked about the benefits of humor. You know, laughter releases endorphins, which is known as the pleasure chemical. Uh, laughter in general just changes people's minds. It changes their attitudes. It's an amazing gift. And uh, these days, it's very hard to come by. There's 
there's an element of anger that's running through our country that's very damaging. Um, there are people, and you can feel it, it's palpable. There is a segment, there is a segment of people that cannot wait to be offended by something. And it's very disturbing because you don't know what to say anymore. You know, in the comedy world, you can say something just off the cuff that someone finds offensive. And it's, it's almost like every single person in the world is one tweet away from being fired from their job. You know, I don't tweet at all. If I do, it's very harmless things. I don't, you know, I don't put out anything that I think could be objectionable. But there are a lot of comedians that won't do colleges anymore. There's a whole, as I said, there's a whole segment of the population that just sits at home waiting to be offended by something. And I think it's very damaging to our society in general. You know, it's political correctness run amok. Because people, people can tell intuitively whether someone means something in a hurtful way or whether they're just saying it as a joke. You know, I, for many years, I look at comedy as a healing force. Comedy has the ability to bring all people together. And I see it when I go to a show by somebody like Russell Peters, who's a, a, a Canadian-born Indian comic uh, by ethnicity. And his audience is filled with people of all different backgrounds. He imitates every accent. He jokes about every background, and people love him. He, he's one of the few comics that travels worldwide. And I use him as an example. Lisa Lampanelli was the same way, who recently gave up doing stand-up comedy. But she was always known as the lovable queen of mean. And she would pick on every group, starting with herself, and talk about her appearance and her background. And the audience loved her. You know, absolutely left her because they knew intuitively that she was coming from a good place, that she didn't have hate in her heart. And if you use your intelligence, you can tell who's coming from a good place and who is not. You know, and do you think the yeah, outrage sorry, culture? Do you think the outrage culture actually has uh, something to do with the fact that maybe people are a lot less intelligent than what they once were? And I'm not just talking about intellectually intelligent, but I'm also talking about emotional intelligence, where they just they have no idea how to process information that even though it could be harmless, they just perceive it as negative because maybe it's like the hip thing to do. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's so perfectly put. And a lot of people don't address things from that point of view, but it's very true. The intelligence level, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with technology too, and everybody wants to be hip and cool. There was a time, you know, way back when... There were different groups. You know who was cool. And then it started to change where, like, everyone's cool, which is fine. And then it just branched out to, like, it, it's, gotten, it's gotten very strange. Um, the dumbing down of America, you know, it's happening before our eyes. Yeah, I wish, I wish the world was a little more, like, relaxed because I feel like right now that there are things that, People could find hysterical years ago. I I love Sam Kinison. I'm a big fan of the edgier comics. I think edgy comedy is the ones mm -hmm. when they take. And now like today, like well, you can't laugh at that. I'm like well, who the hell are people to tell you what you can and what you can't laugh at? I'm wondering if there is a, I don't know, kind of a pressure on people right now to not laugh at certain things. If that collective pressure is actually causing people 
to not have a sense of humor, to be just on edge all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a tremendous um, tendency for people to, to stifle what they want to say, what they can laugh at. Bill Burr takes it on, you know, he's one of the few comics. And like I was at a show recently, one one woman was offended and stood up and left. And, and he made a whole, he made her look so foolish. You know, it, it's a comedy show. If you don't want to laugh at things, don't go to a comedy show. You know, a lot of comedians say, you know, if you have any doubt about what I'm saying, look on the wall, say, hey, maybe he's just kidding. It's a comedy club. You know, um, look, I go back. To, I happen to like silly comedy. I like the old time comedy, W.C. Fields and Laurel and Hardy. By the way, that new movie about them is fantastic with John C. Riley, um, Stan and Ollie. There's no comedy like that anymore. If comedians tried to do that, they couldn't even get representation these days. The Marx Brothers. That, that kind of comedy never hurt anybody's feelings. Then things changed, you know. When it came out of the 60s, the 60s was supposed to be a good time, and it wound up, in retrospect, it wound up ruining things by telling everybody, you know, do your own thing, be your own person. There's a lot of value to that, but people have become so unique, and then this this ultra-political correctness which is just horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Um there are people who mean well, who can be misconstrued by what they're saying. And it's, you know, it, I think it's very damaging. As I said, there's an undercurrent of anger. You feel it all the time in the street, when you're driving. People are ready to jump down each other's throat. You know, it's, the country is so divided, and I've never seen anything like it. People are just outright disrespectful to each other. And it carries over into the comedy world. It's just, you know, you see it. Comedians will say a certain thing. I I have a friend who's a well-known Greek comedian, and he came on the radio as my guest, and he said that when he does a Greek character, he gets death threats from the Greek community. And he's Greek. So you you can't even imitate your own people's accent anymore. There was a time. That's a real art, to be able to imitate an accent. I think so. I well, yeah, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of requirements. And I'm just curious, from your perspective, what can people do who, like, say, for example, you're not part of the political correctness. You don't get offended. You just you know, you want to laugh and live and enjoy your life. How do you enjoy your life in the midst of the mob that is willing to get offended by anything? Do you just, do you just, you know what, grab a select number of people that are close to, and then you enjoy comedy with them? I mean, how do you? Well, let me say this, too. You know, when I say that I'm not offended, you know what? I'm offended by bathroom humor. Look, I've been in the comedy scene for a long time, and there are things that bother me when I'm out with somebody or on a date or with people. I don't want to go to a a nice club and hear uh, comedians talking about things that they should have outgrown when they were nine years old. You know, I always say if that's the only thing that you can think of to laugh at, then you're not really a comedian. Um you should be more clever. Most great comedians are wordsmiths like Jerry Seinfeld and George Wallace, people that came out of that era. So, you know, I go to shows and I hear things that I don't appreciate, but I don't stand up and walk out and I don't write about it. You know, I'm also a comedy journalist. So I cover the comedy scene for 20 years. And 
I respect everybody that goes on stage, whether I like what they do or not. It's a very hard thing to get up on a stage and try to convince strangers that what you think is funny is funny. So if someone does a bad show or has a meltdown on stage, which I've been privy to, I don't write about it because I don't believe that people should criticize each other that way. Critics, like movie critics who've never made a movie in their lives or theater critics who've never been on stage, you know, what right do they have to criticize people if you've never done it before? The same thing with comedians, you know? So I don't critique people. I just leave them out. If I don't like what they did, I don't write about them. I don't publicize them. Because my goal, I believe in putting positive energy out to the universe. That's all I want to do. I don't want to create more negativity. There's enough negativity in the world as it is, you know? So I try to surround myself with like-minded people. And I understand that, you know, I'm not going to like everything that a comedian says on stage. But again, he's a comedian. That's why he's doing that, you know. And go ahead. You know, you say you've worked with comedians for over 40, like 40 years, and you've seen some of the greatest. You've worked with some of the greatest. Of all the ones that you can come across, are there five that stand out in your mind as, let's say, carrying a, a celestial energy, carrying a really beautiful energy because I just remind everyone that in the previous interviews with Jeffrey, Jeffrey is uh, very intuitive and you're very sensitive to other people's energy. So who would you say would be like five comedians that really did carry this beautiful energy and we're putting it out to the world? Well, you know, again, that's a very interesting question. You ask very insightful questions and those kind of feelings don't seem to go with comedy. It's very interesting. I was very moved by Lisa Lampanelli's recent choice to give up stand-up comedy because she's known as an insult comedian, and she can't do it anymore. She's become a life coach, and she does very positive things from the stage. Her message, like her, her recent show is called Losing It, about how she lost 107 pounds and changed her life in a very spiritual way. And um, a lot of that is what is in my book. Actually, I recently did a a video with her where she was talking about the healing aspects of my book because it's a humor, you know, it says healing your heart by changing your mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. It's about changing the way we think, learning that each one of us are holding thoughts that are not valid for us. And they're thoughts that were given to us many times by people who didn't care about us, by bullies when you were a child. If you were ever bullied, those mean things that people said to you, they're still inside of you. That's that statement they teach us when we're kids, you know, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never harm you. That's the furthest from the truth, because all your bruises healed up a long time ago. But every single one of us can remember something that someone said to us that hurt our feelings. Uh, people that broke promises to us, people that we counted on that didn't come through when we needed them. All those things, I call them heart wounds. And they lodge inside our heart chakra and they stay with us. They affect your self-esteem, your self-confidence, and they affect every decision that you make in your life because every time you're called upon to make a decision, you use your thoughts to figure out what to do. And if your thoughts are skewed, If they're negative thoughts against yourself, your decisions are not going to work out for you. So changing the way you think is very important. Comedy doesn't tend to be a sensitive kind of a business. It's basically being a wise guy. You're making remarks. You're making fun of things. You know, I think of that a lot. 
sometimes it's the exact opposite. So when you ask about, you know, there are a lot of wonderful, great comedians that I've had the pleasure of working with and befriending, but I would never put it in a, a category of sensitivity, of putting out love, so to speak, because that's not really what comedians do. Uh, there are speakers who do that kind of stuff. And again, I use Lisa Lampanelli as an example. She actually did my happiness show with me. I created a pilot. Uh, I wanted to have a place where wherever people tuned in, they would always hear something positive. So I created a pilot with the help of people from Sirius XM, uh, <clears throat> Ron Bennington and some of his team. And it was called The Happiness Show. And I had three very famous comedians as my guests. It was Lisa Lampanelli, Colin Quinn, and Susie Essman from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, Susie's awesome. Never both of them. Yeah. Right, and all, all, all of whom are, are not particularly known for their, their happiness on stage, but I thought it would be interesting to see what comedians do to bring happiness into their own lives when all they do is go out on stage and try to make other people happy. You know, that's a great gift in itself, whether they're sensitive or not. Making other people laugh is an amazing gift to do that, you know, to put that kind of energy out to the universe. So in answer to your question, you know, that was a long answer to a short question, but, uh, <laughs> but there's not a lot of sensitivity on stage. It's really about making fun of things, um, well, being, be, being a professional wise guy. <laughs> Well, there, but you said mentioned Lisa Lampanelli, but are there other people that walk on that stage where you know that they actually have a lot of love in their heart, that they actually are, you know, trying to maybe get a message out of peace? Because I, I, when I watch George Carlin, I think that he was a prophet. I actually think that he was a an advanced being, maybe that came here to really let people know and wake people up. Because George Carlin's comedy is used a lot. I see in alternative media and libertarian type of media to let people know of what's really happening. I feel like he was really, you know, letting people know that, hey, you're, you're controlled. And he had a lot of messages out there. And I thought Bill Hicks was very uh, metaphysical in a lot of his works that mm -hmm. he presented. So uh, the, the question was, are there people that you've come across that have observed that you think, okay, well, here they are, they're a comedian, but they actually are here maybe with a greater purpose, or maybe they're here for this greater purpose of humanity, and they're, they're taking on the guise of comedian to get the information out. I like the way you think. I understand where you're coming from, but I don't I don't get that feeling from anybody. I mean, look, there were guys like Lenny Bruce who changed everything because and he was arrested so many times for what they thought was offensive language. Today would be considered nothing. And he was persecuted, you know, and wound up dying, you know. Uh so it's a it's a hard question for me to see that way there are people who would do very positive acts you know look jerry seinfeld always works clean sebastian maniscalco who i went to see about a week ago He's awesome <laughs> at madison square garden four sold out shows eighty thousand people came out to see him you know what that means it's hard enough to fill a 300 seat comedy club when you can draw eighty thousand people out of their homes and it's kind of family-oriented comedy, talking about his kids and his and his wife and his family in general. Uh, you know, and he owns the Italian community. People love him. He imitates people in his family, and he does the, a great Italian thing, and people love that. So there's still a lot of people that respond that are not caught up in the ultra-PC 
feeling that's going around. But, um, you know, there are people like that. D.L. Hughley is a great um, example of someone who talks about social consciousness in there. You know, he's very active, and he talks about social consciousness in his act, trying to bring people together. Um, you know, but it's, it's not a large group of, of people. But I like your perspective. I like the way you look at things, and that's why you do the kind of show that you do. Thank you. And one of the things I was observing, at least the comedians from today and the comedians from decades ago, I think about it, I see a comparison between um, that and the music of the 60s and 70s. I feel like that some of the music that came out in 60s and 70s was so raw, so original, so authentic, and there was so much like passion and soul to it. Whereas I think the music today is so, a lot of it's so manufactured and it's, there's nothing to it. It doesn't have any meaning to it. I'm wondering if that's where comedy is going, where these people are going up on stage because they think they can make a living out of it or they think they can you know, mm-hmm. become a flavor of the hour and there's not really passion to it. Because I think those guys that we got up on stage, like like Bill Hicks, Sam Kinison, they had like pain. They feel like they were, they were they had a lot of internal pain. They and they were bringing that out on stage. They were exercising their demons and transforming that pain into into positive energy. I just don't see it with some of these comedians today. I, just, I don't think that they they're, they're tormented enough. I don't know. It, well, there's not as much creativity either. There's there's very the people that you're mentioning are so unique. It's very hard to find performers that are so unique. You know, when I talk about uniqueness, I'll point to like Bert Kreischer, who always works without a shirt and has become a phenomenon, or Judah Friedlander, who there's no one like him, or Gilbert Gottfried, to this day, is so unique. Most comedians fall into, you know, a very similar category. They talk about the same things. Um, uh, Mitch Hedberg, very different thinker, kind of like Stephen Wright, you know, coming up with, like, just such unusual thoughts. Those are the kind of things, you know, when the country came out of the 1950s, which was such a repressive era in terms of everything, especially entertainment, the music that you talk about changed the world. There's nothing left to shock people. That's why young kids don't know what to do to rebel anymore. How many tattoos and piercings can you get? How long a beard can you actually have? You know what I mean? It's like I did a show in Brooklyn recently. Even the girls had beards. Everyone has a beard these days. You know I mean? It's like, it's like, it, it's, uh, you know, there's nothing left to do to shock people unless you're starting to mutilate yourself because it started in the 60s with, you know, tune in, turn on and drop out. And people did what was considered wild stuff then, you know, coming out of the 50s, as I said, which was such a repressive era, the 60s started changing everything. But that's like 50 years ago already, you know, or more. So it's hard to, you know, they say in comedy, there's nothing new in comedy. It's all been done. Every once in a while, somebody comes up with something unique, you know. So everyone thinks they're a comedian these days, but there's less and less things to talk about. There are only a few that have the courage. Like I use Bill Burr as an example. He's incredible. Yeah, and he gets up and he talks about, but he's so smart that he comes from another angle and he shows you the the foolishness of political correctness you know and it's great he's married to a black woman so he has the ability to talk about both ethnicities you know and he makes it very funny 
And because he's smart, you know, and he's like a crossover act. But there are just, there are not a lot of people like that around these days. Um, but our original topic about, you know, comedy being a healing force is very true. People need to laugh, especially now they need to laugh more than ever. And there has to be a change because it's, it's going downhill. It's pretty fine, but on a positive note, people can learn more about Jeffrey and check out your comedy by going to your website at comedymatters.com. This is Jeffrey Gurian. I want to thank you. Comedymatterstv.com. Comedymatterstv.com. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything there that will offend anyone. Maybe just my parents. I don't know. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I want to say, Jeffrey, I want to thank you so much for coming back to the show. And uh, Jeffrey's got again, an incredible book, Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. Again, comedymatterstv.com. Also, Check out the previous interviews that we've done with Jeffrey. Jeffrey was the very first person we had on our show, which is coming up on our five-year anniversary. So, uh, Jeffrey, that is so amazing. Thank you. That is such a great honor to me to have been the first and to come back repeatedly. I've been on a few times now, and you always have something great to say, and it's always great to be on with you, Ryan. You're a very special person, so thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our amazing guests, Dr. Stephen Sinatra, Billy Bingo, Jeffrey Gurian, Dr. John Huber, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.